Well, welcome to church and good morning. If we've never had the privilege of meeting, my name's Garrett and I have the great honor of serving on staff here as one of the pastors at Arbor and uh, really glad you're here this morning. We're in the middle of a series called Outsiders and we'll get to that in a second, but I first want to address something that happened last weekend. I was out on vacation, wasn't here last Sunday, but came back on Monday and met with the team and heard that we had an incredible weekend around here. Lots of great stuff happened, but the one I want to highlight is the impact you guys had on the lives of a lot of young children around the world. Jake gave a challenge last week to support and sponsor some children through Compassion International. It's uh, through our outreach plan, one of the organizations that we've decided as a church we want to have a strategic relationship with. And so in talking to them, we, uh, they encouraged us or set our expectations, if you will, that about typically 10% of the adult um, attendance at a church will engage in these types of sponsorship programs. So for us, that'd be around 25 to 30 kids that would be sponsored based on our regular adult attendance. And we said, man, we just, we feel like we, we can do more than that. So we asked them to send us 50. So they actually sent us 56 kids that could be sponsored. And as of last Sunday, all 56 of those got sponsored. So good job, you guys. Isn't that cool? And, and not only that, there were people that were actually passing on it saying, oh, you know, there weren't enough. There was more demand than there was supply. And so um, Compassion sent us an additional 20-some, and they're out in the lobby today. So if you missed the chance or passed on it so someone else could have the chance to adjo- adopt a child, there are more kids in the lobby that would love for you to sponsor them and establish a relationship. So just thank you, church. That was so cool for me to come back from vacation and hear uh, about that and for us to call compassion and say, oh, instead of 10%, it was over 20% of our people that engaged in this. And they were just floored, like just super floored. So good job. So we're getting back into the series, The Outsider. And the theme of this series is how we as a community love the outsiders by inviting them in. I know something about being an outsider. I love music. Not everybody shares my taste in music, but I love music. And I love Sir Elton John. Don't judge me. I like the way he dresses, mostly. That's actually not true. But the dude writes hits, all right? So one of his best all-time song, Tiny Dancer. You know this song? Hold me close, I'm trying to dance. Yeah. There's a reason why I don't sing in the band. Everyone's like, oh my God, are you going to sing the whole song? Blue Jean, baby. Yeah, no, we're not going to sing it. But you know the song, right? Everyone's heard this. I have sang this song practically my whole life, since I was a teenager. At parties, hanging out with friends, driving in the car, at wedding receptions when it's playing. Like I find my, it's, he just writes super singable songs you can sing along with and shout at the top of your lungs. However, there's a problem. Up until a couple months ago, I was singing the chorus, hold me closer. No, I was singing, hold me close, I'm trying to dance here. <laughs> my whole life. For over 30 years, I have been belting out, hold me close, I'm trying to dance here. Come to find out, it's hold me closer, tiny dancer. What the heck is a tiny dancer? What? This is a weird, weird song, man. But okay, we pulled it up on Spotify. I want you guys to listen for yourself, so go ahead and play it. Hold me close, I'm trying to dance 
right? Hold me close, I'm trying to dance here. All right, that's good. It makes way more sense. You're ruined for the rest of your life. Some people told me that, they, that, that there's a common thing that people think it's Tony Danza. I, hold me closer, Tony Danza. That's so amazing. <laughs> I wish that's what I was singing. Who doesn't like the Fonz? But I was singing, I'm trying to dance here. I was singing. What? what? Okay, anyway. Yeah. So basically, if you get to know me and you hang out with me for much time at all, this is my life. People just laugh at me. Not because I'm funny, because I do stupid stuff all the time. So it's a silly example, and we can all laugh at me, but being on the outside sucks. My whole life, I thought I was part of something. I was like one of the gang. Come to find out, everybody's been laughing at me. I've done karaoke to that song, <laughs> and nobody told me that I got, I've been the butt of a joke for 30 years. It sucks being on the outside. And so today, we're talking about how we as a church follow the model of Jesus by loving other people. Jesus told us, go and make disciples. That's our mission, right? But he didn't just tell us what to do. He modeled it for us in his own life by going to the outsiders. We love the outsiders by inviting them in. Whatever background, age, gender, race, ethnicity, politics, education, income, or taste in music, we love the outsiders by inviting them in. And this is what we want our church to be about. It's not just who we are, but what and who we want to be about. So this is a DNA, a culturally defining series and conversation we're having here. Today, we're going to be going and looking at an example of how Jesus dealt with an incredibly stressful, tense situation regarding an outsider, a woman who was very much on the outskirts of society and how he loved her by inviting her in. So I've asked my friend Austin if he would stand and read for us. This is John chapter 8, verses 1 and 11. Neither do I go and sin no more. That's good news, isn't it? An incredible story. Will you bow your heads and pray with me? Jesus, we thank you for the mission that you gave us to go and make disciples, to love outsiders. And we thank you that you didn't just tell us what to do, but you showed us how to do it. And so I pray this morning and ask for the Holy Spirit that you would speak through me, that the words would not be my words, but they would be yours. And I pray for each individual in the room this morning that, Holy Spirit, your voice would fall on their ears and speak to them specifically, personally, individually. We believe that you're alive and well and speaking to us today, and so we want to hear from you this morning. In the name of Jesus, amen. So this is a wild story, right? Chances are if you've been around church for a while, you've heard this story more than once. And for good reason, because like any good Hollywood movie, there's all sorts of elements. There's, uh, there's surprise, there's suspense, there's a gratuitous love scene of sorts. There's a plot twist and ultimately redemption and the good guys win, right? We love happy endings. There's so much here to teach on, but for today's purposes and the purpose of this series, The Outsiders that we're in, we're going to go and take a look specifically at Jesus and how he responds to the situation 
to the pressure that's being put on him and how he responds to the woman as an individual. So let's jump back in. We're going to take a look at this verse by verse and kind of break this story down. So jumping back in, John chapter 8, verse 1. Jesus returned to the Mount of Olives, but early next morning, he was back again at the temple. A crowd soon gathered. So pay attention to that. There's a lot of people, a crowd. And he sat down and taught them. As he was speaking, the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in the act of adultery. They brought her in front of this crowd. All right, so hold on a second. There's a few things going on first. I'd like to respectfully and hopefully tactfully address what's actually going on here. Take kind of the the Bible story veneer off of this. This story is about a woman that was caught in the middle of an act. Not as she was walking into a room, not as she was walking out of a room, but she was caught in the middle of a very vulnerable act, if you will. And if you think about this for a second, how did that happen? Like, how did she get caught? Were these religious men watching? Well, that's kind of weird, isn't it? Did they just happen to walk by at the exact right time where her doors and windows left open so they could peer in and see what was happening? Or did they set this whole thing up? Was this a plot, a ploy to trick Jesus? How did they know the guy she was with wasn't her husband? Speaking of the guy, where is he at? It's odd, isn't it? According to Jewish law, both were guilty and both deserved the same punishment. Both deserved death. There's a lot going on here and this isn't our cute, sanitized little kids class Bible story that we're reading this morning. So I hope that we can just kind of realize the gravity of what's happening here. Okay, so jumping back in, verse four. Teacher, these men said. So remember, they had just dragged this woman out in front of the crowd and now they're addressing Jesus, calling him teacher. Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. The law of Moses says to Stoner, what do you say? Here it is. They were trying to trap him into saying something they could use against him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote in the dust with his finger. They kept demanding an answer. They're badgering him, trying to bully him. So is it just me or is there something fishy going on here? There's a lot happening. They're trying to trap him, put his back against a corner. And could you imagine how you would feel in a situation like this? How flustered, how frustrated how defensive and angry you would be that someone's doing this to you. But here's what we notice about Jesus and how he's responding. Jesus wasn't rattled. We've all felt pressure to give an answer, to have an opinion, to choose a side, and it seemed that there was no right answer either way, right? It's a lose-lose scenario. And if you're anything like me, every morning I wake up, I haven't learned my lesson yet, I get on my phone and I look at my news feed and I start scrolling through what's going on. And almost instantly, I get a pit in my stomach and begin to feel anxious as I realize just how much division there is among us, amongst our culture, amongst society, around the world. There's so many hot topics and there's massive division around and there's great pressure to take sides and have an opinion and speak 
your peace? Where do you stand? Where do you land on this? And it doesn't seem to be any middle ground. I feel like whatever I say and whatever I put out there, I have one of two choices. I'm either going to be one of those right-wing nut jobs or I'm going to be a flaming liberal. And I'm going to be pinned against the other with no choice of finding middle ground. And I don't really consider myself either of those, self-identify as such. But no matter how hard I try to express myself appropriately, it seems that those are the two camps I have to choose from. Our world's divided. And people in culture are pressuring us to pick a side. And here's the deal. When it comes to reaching outsiders, we're going to take criticism and things are going to get messy. Remember that old question you used to get asked when you were a kid? At least I used to get asked, it, uh, get asked this when I was a kid. Can God make a rock so big that he can't lift it? You ever get asked that? It's a trick question. It used to just tick me off, man, because I knew I was stuck. There's no right answer. I couldn't, like, spin my way out of it because if you say, yeah, God can create it. He can do anything. He can make a rock as big as he wants. Well, then he can't do everything because he can't lift it. Or sure, he can make the biggest rock ever. Well, then he can't do everything because whatever, you get it, right? Like it's a ch- <laughs> I'm even confusing myself. I'm still frustrated from my eight-year-old friends asking me this question. It's designed to pigeonhole you and back you into a corner, and that's precisely what's going on right now in this story. These people are, are coming out, these religious experts, these Pharisees, these teachers of the law, and they're trying to trap Jesus in a catch-22. Because here's the thing. If he says no, love her, have grace on her, let her go, then he breaks the law, the Jewish law that he is under. And so then he's a heretic. He can be stoned for that, killed for that. If he says, yes, go ahead and kill her, you guys are right and you're justified in doing so, it goes against everything his life has been about and his entire ministry up until that point. They've got Jesus back against the wall. But I love what Jesus does here. He's not rushed, he's not surprised, he's not anxious like most of us would be. He's not on his heels in a defensive posture. He is not rattled. Jesus isn't rattled. And the passage insinuates that there was a long pause, that Jesus didn't immediately respond. He stooped down and began to write in the ground, and the Pharisees are standing there waiting for a response. (laughs) Think about this poor woman. She's probably like, hey, anyone got a robe? You know, toss a robe in the mix here. She's standing there in the middle of all these people watching, Hello, Jesus, did you hear us? We asked you a question. Verse 7 says, they kept demanding an answer, but Jesus wasn't rattled. Jesus rattled. Why isn't Jesus rattled? There's two things that stand out to me. Jesus was always secure in his relationship with the Father. He knew exactly who he was in relationship with the Father. And Jesus was confident in his ultimate mission, his purpose, and his calling. If you haven't read Psalm 46 in a while, I encourage you to jot yourself a note and read through it later. It is such an encouraging passage, especially during times like this of of division and chaos. It wraps up, Psalm 46 wraps up saying this, Be still and know that I am God. It talks about how God's our refuge, our strength, our very present help in times of need and trouble. And I think no one knew this better than Jesus. He was completely confident in this reality. When the pressure's on us, we don't need to get rattled because God is never rattled. Our situation, our culture, our society, 
whatever we've done, whatever we're walking through with someone else, God is not rattled. We can be still and find rest and know that he is God. Let's continue. Second half of verse seven, jumping back in. So remember the Pharisees have brought this woman out and they're demanding an answer from Jesus. So now he stands up and he says, all right, all right, go ahead. But let the one who has never sinned, let the one of you who is perfect, let the one of you who has never broken the law, let that person be the first to throw the stone. And then he stooped back down and began writing in the dust again. When the accusers heard this, they slipped away one by one, beginning with the oldest, until Jesus was the only one left in the middle of the crowd with this woman. Jesus wasn't rattled. And I want us to notice, Jesus led with grace publicly. Jesus speaks to a heart issue here. Go ahead, throw the stone. You guys are right, you're justified. The law of Moses says it clearly. If you're caught in adultery, the law demands death. But be ready, whatever punishment you're doling out, be ready to receive that same punishment in your own life. And if we stop for a minute and think about this, how we can apply this to our lives today, 2,000 plus years later, I think there's a lot of applications and implications. Because sure, there's stuff that some of us feel really strong, really passionate, really confident about. And I would guess that there's some people in here that through my first point were thinking, I don't feel rattled. I know exactly what I think. I know why I think it, and I know exactly how to say it. Totally confident in it. But here's what I'd hope we'd ask ourselves. Is that position, that stance, that public comment consistent with the grace and love that we ourselves have received from Jesus? And the second thing I'd hope we ask ourselves is, are there areas in our own lives where maybe they're not totally all cleaned up yet? And if people wanted to, they could just as easily take us to task in broad public forms and forums. Now, quickly I want to say, I'm certainly not suggesting that we don't have opinions, that we don't have a voice, because quite the opposite. I think as Christians, my hope is that we would be on the front edge of culture leading in these things, in love, in love. And that's precisely why we're in this series, talking about the outsiders, talking about what we're commissioned to do, what our church is about, who we want to be about. That's why we're having this conversation and we're looking at the life and example of Jesus to instruct us how to go about doing that, okay? And what we see here is that Jesus led with grace publicly. I don't know if you guys saw this. This was a story from a couple years ago, but really just made it in the news somewhat recently. There was a woman in Florida named Mandy Bass. Super Bowl Sunday, at home alone, working on her computer, football games going on in the background. And all of a sudden, she hears the sound of glass breaking. And so she gets up and goes to see what's going on. And there's a young man in his early 20s that has broken into her home. And as surprised as she was to see him, he was surprised to see her. Because he had just made a bad decision and tried drugs for the first time through peer pressure. He was on LSD had a bad trip. They think it was a, a laced LSD, like a, a cocktail. He got um, 
paranoid, super paranoid, and, and took off from the party and started running. Police started chasing him. He jumped a fence, broke a window into a house where he could hide. Just so happened to be Mandy Bass's house. And when he saw her, he freaked out and started beating the crud out of her. Within an inch of her life, she barely was able to get away, clawed herself away, got out the front door. The police were there, able to take her in. And this young man, Kevin, was arrested. He was facing life plus, I think it was 20 years, something like that. Life plus something uh, was what he was facing as a prison sentence. And this woman was furious. The pictures of her face are brutal. I mean, he, he broke her arm, her ribs, her face is all black and blue. It was awful. And she wanted justice. And she had a team of lawyers that taken care of business for her. And it came time for the hearing. And Kevin and Mandy were going to see each other for the very first time since this terrible situation happened. And they locked eyes and she went over to him, and just trying to break the ice, what came out of her mouth was, boy, you don't look nearly as scary as last time I saw you. It's funny, right? It broke him. He melted, fell into her chest, and just began sobbing, begging for forgiveness. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. What Mandy Bass did next rocks my world. In an instant, she turned, she told her lawyers, the defense attorneys, and the judge, I dropped the charges. I forgive him. She said there was something about what she saw in his eyes in that moment. And the Holy Spirit spoke to her, and she realized the grace she had received in her own life. And publicly, in front of these people, she extended grace to this young boy. I'd love for you to go look it up and, and hear the rest of the story because it's incredible. He has a super bright future. This kid was like valedictorian of his class, the drum major in the marching band. He was an eagle scout. He was a volunteer firefighter. He just made one bad decision, and it would have ruined the rest of his life. But Mandy Bass extended grace publicly. You know what's interesting about this is now Kevin has her programmed into his phone as Mama Mandy. When she calls, it shows up Mama Mandy. And he says he did this because that day he gained a second mom. And the voice that she has into his life now, because of the grace he extended her, what he allows her to speak into his life, is like his own mother. How we respond publicly sets the stage for whether or not we'll have influence privately. You catch that? How we respond publicly sets the stage for whether or not we'll have influence privately. So when it comes to loving outsiders and taking some heat, Jesus isn't rattled. And Jesus leads with grace publicly. So let's jump back in to verse 10 and wrap up this story. So Jesus now stands up and catch this. For the first time, he now directs his attention on the woman and is speaking directly to her. And he says, where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? She just says, no, Lord. And he says, neither do I condemn you. Now go and sin no more. So there's clearly a both and here, right? Jesus led with grace publicly. But now Jesus is instructing with truth personally. He extends grace, but he also upholds truth. 
He knew she wasn't living a life full of integrity. He knew that she was an outsider. He knew that her views, her moral stance on sexuality probably wasn't ushering in the fullness of God in her life, right? He knew this. So he says, go and sin no more. Other translations, go now and leave your life of sin. Jesus didn't just give this woman grace. He also gave her truth. But I want us to notice, us, us here today, I want us to notice something really specifically about how he does this. He does it personally. He does it personally. So when we look at our public voice and how we use it, and our, uh, how would we say, the, the mechanism in which most of us do that these days, via email or online, social media, blog posts, etc. What I have to say and how I say it to one person is most often drastically different from what and how I'd say it to another person. How I speak to my wife versus how I speak to my buddies that I've been friends with since I was 12 years old versus how I speak to my coworkers versus how I speak to you guys, my church family versus how I speak to my neighbor who just moved in a month ago, isn't a follower of Jesus, and I'm just getting to know him. All of those scenarios are drastically different, and I customize my approach and my words based on relationship. You see what I'm getting at here? Facebook and Twitter do not allow us the care and customization that I just described. My neighbor who follows me on Facebook sees the same post that my wife sees, that my buddies see, that you all see, because it's just there, static. And often we lose the ability to speak into someone's life privately because how we've behaved publicly. Whether we like it or not, these mediums of public sharing and expressing ourselves have largely become megaphones for people's ideas and opinions. And if you've read the news lately, you know this, what started off as their greatest strength, an uncensored uh, flat platform for us to share our opinions, is now becoming their greatest weakness and possibly demise because it's full of fake news and hate speech. And so they're, they're, they're on their heels trying to figure out how to censor our feeds and not see that anymore. Here's my point in all this. What I want for us as a unique community, as a church family, I want you to hear again, often we lose the ability to look into someone's life privately because of how we've behaved and communicated publicly. And I want to just take this a step further and get a little bit personal for a second. We don't just represent ourselves. We represent our church. We represent our brothers and sisters in Christ, and people know that you're a Christian. We represent the greater whole, and we represent Jesus Jesus himself. And so we can actually hinder not only our own witness, but the witness of our brother and sisters, simply based on how we choose to put stuff out there in public forums. I said there was a both and to Jesus' approach, grace and truth. People often point to this story as, see, Jesus didn't just forgive people, he told the truth. He was a truth teller, okay? This isn't all grace, this isn't all love. And they're right. It's right there in black and white. He told her, go and sin no more. But here's the important distinction. Jesus didn't just balance grace and truth. Jesus 
fully embodied both. Jesus was fully grace and Jesus was fully truth. And there's a huge difference between that and a balancing act. And if we're going to be a church that follows the teachings of Jesus, if we're going to point back and model our lives after the life of Jesus, then we too have to not balance but fully embrace both. And that's tricky because it's messy. There's no clear lines. Well, you got to be, I'm true. Oh, great. It starts getting real blurry and muddy because the hard part for us is not drawing these clear lines. It's tough, it's confusing, and it's messy. And yes, we are called to be holy as God is holy. But pursuing holiness, I want you to hear this. I want, I, I want to say this well. Pursuing holiness with a profound personal experience of grace in our own lives produces hypocrisy and doctrinal cruelty. Someone said, say that again. Pursuing holiness without profoundly experiencing grace in our own lives produces hypocrisy and doctrinal cruelty. When we communicate a story of how we've experienced Christ's love in our own lives, the life-altering love and grace and truth of Christ in our own lives, when we share how we were transformed by a gift that we didn't deserve, when we remember where we came from, when the howling mob was breathing down our neck and we were forgiven, we begin to tell a different story. The stance we take begins to change. When that's our voice, our primary voice, we begin to change our reputation and we begin to earn the right to be heard privately. Hopefully, someday publicly. So as we look to follow the example of Jesus and how he conducted himself when it comes to loving the outsiders and inviting them in, we see in this story, Jesus wasn't rattled. He knows who he is. He knows his relationship with the Father. And he doesn't allow the anxiety and the stress to be built up and to be forced into a corner demanded an answer. Jesus wasn't rattled. And then he led with grace publicly. And then he instructed with truth privately, personally. And what's interesting is we don't know if this woman changed her life. We know Jesus said, go and sin no more, and that's the end of the story for us as readers. We don't know if she changed her life, but we know Jesus saved her life. I've got to imagine that if Jesus just walked up and said, hey, quit sleeping around, she might be like, who the heck are you? Because if you pay attention to this story, this isn't one of those stories where she came throwing herself at his feet in repentance. That's not how this story goes. This woman was ripped out of a situation and thrown in front of him. But because he had her back publicly, he got to instruct her with truth personally and privately. I'd like to wrap up with a story um, kind of in, in honor of last week's talk, talking about the children that Jake shared. This last week, I learned a major life lesson from a child, and I think it dovetails really well with what we're talking about here this morning. This child is a six-year-old girl named Blythe, 
and know that she's my daughter. And uh, I was uh, amazed, amazed at what she did and truly had a huge impact on me. I hope it does on you as well. So last week we took vacation and it was a staycation. Spent some time out in the woods doing hikes, spent some time screwing around at home. Well, we got our girls this bouncy house, that, um, like a big inflatable that goes in the backyard, and it's a water slide. So you blow it up, and they climb up this little ladder, and then there's a slide that goes down into a pool. And so the girls put a hose at the top of the slide and, and just have a blast screaming down and splashing in the water. And, um, you know, during the hot weather that we've had here, it's, it's been awesome for them. Well... One of these days, my six-year-old Blythe is playing, having fun, and she comes up to me. I'm on the deck watching them, and she says, Dad, can I invite some of my friends over? So in the neighborhood friends, I say, sure, go ahead. Tawny and I have always had a thing. We want to be the house. If the kids are going to go somewhere, we hope they come to our house. We want them to come have fun and play at our house. So I said, sure, go ahead. So she went around the neighborhood and invited several kids over, and they made their way into our backyard, and next thing I know, my backyard is full of chaos and loud noise and kids screaming, uh, but it was great. It was so much fun watching them all have fun, and just the pride on my daughter's face that this is her bouncy house, and she gets to have all the kids over doing this. But something stood out to me. There was one girl, her name is Megan, who was wearing jeans and a t-shirt, and she had her jeans rolled up to her knees, and she's standing in the, the pool portion of the bouncy house um, you know, with water up to about her knees. But she's not doing anything. And every time a kid comes to slide and the water splashes, she kind of, you know, tries to shelter herself and make sure she doesn't get wet. And so I'm wondering, what in the heck's going on? And, and just as I kind of clue into this, I see Blythe, my six-year-old, come down and take Megan aside and start to talk to her. And then she brings Megan up on the deck with me and she says, Dad, Megan's parents said that she can't get wet. I'd like to take her back to her house and ask them again and see if they'll change their mind. And I was like, okay, go ahead, have fun with that, you know? So the two little girls march off out of the backyard around the corner to my neighbor's house to see if, <laughs> if they can persuade her parents. And uh, it was a valiant effort, but they came back and Blythe's head was kind of like this. And she's like, they said no. I was like, oh, shoot, that's a bummer, you know, sorry. But good try, you know, that's a nice way to be a good friend, Blythe. And the kids went back to playing. And maybe only a minute or two had passed. And next thing I know, I see Blythe on top of the structure before you go down the slide, and she yells out to her friends, hey, guys, 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 guys. She gets everyone's attention. And she says, Megan's parents don't want her to get wet, but I don't think it's nice of us or fair of us to all be doing something that someone else can't do. So why don't we go out front and do something that all of us can do together? Isn't that incredible? And like that, Megan's back in the fold. She was on the outside watching all these kids have fun. She didn't say anything, just hands in her pockets, standing in her shin deep in the kiddie pool. And then her whole days changed. And the kids went out front. They got popsicles. They sat on the front porch, finished their popsicles, got on their bikes, and went around the neighborhood. And I don't know. You know, they're six years old. I don't know what goes through their head. But I'm sitting there just going, my gosh, my daughter what she wants to be doing right now on this hot day is playing in the water and enjoying time with her friends. But she saw this girl, and she didn't want her to be left out because my daughter knows what it feels like to be left out. And so she said, hey, let's invite the outsider in. Let's invite him in, and let's do something we all can do. I t my wife got home, and I told her, and I was like, my gosh, like, I'm, I'm, a, 
I'm a pastor for a living, and I'm actually not sure I'd do that as well as my six-year-old daughter just did. I don't know. Will Megan give her more of a voice into her life? I don't know if Megan is being raised in a Christian home. I don't know if she wants to hear Jesus' stories from my daughter. But my hunch is if Blythe continues to treat her the way the other day, that she gain a unique voice personally and privately into Megan's life someday. And that makes me swell with excitement and pride. And it challenges me to be more like Blythe. Will you bow your heads and pray with me? King Jesus, again, we thank you not only for the mission to love the outsiders, but that we have an example to follow, that you didn't just tell us what to do, you did it yourself. And here's the thing about that, is it's not just a homework project for us. We're, we're the end user. We're the beneficiary. We are the outsider, and you left the comforts of your home to come to us and invite us into a relationship with you. And all you've asked us to do is to share that story with other people. And so I lay my big opinions down in front of you. I give them to you. And I ask King Jesus that more and more you would give me, and I'm gonna pray for my brothers and sisters, that you would give us opportunities to share this story of love, of embrace, of inclusion, of a God that invites you into relationship. And we'll deal with the stuff personally as time goes on. May that be our heart as a church, to love the outsiders by inviting them in. In the name of Jesus, amen.